I want us to jump right back into the story of Joseph again. You had a little break, a little intermission there last week with Earl, but now we're back uh, to the story of Joseph, and we're in Genesis 42. So go ahead and find Genesis 42, and I want us to pick right up where we left off. If you remember, we sort of hit this um, pinnacle uh, climax with Joseph being in Egypt. He's in charge. He's, he's gone through the seven years of plenty. He has uh, administrated the gathering of the plenty for the seven years of famine. Now the seven years of famine have come. It has reached Canaan, which is where Jacob and Joseph's brothers are. Jacob says, hey, go to Egypt. Why are you guys standing around? Go to Egypt and get some grain, some food for us so that we won't die. And they walk into, the, walk into Egypt and they walk into the place where they have to go to get food. And there is Joseph. And Joseph sees his brothers and those brothers bow down before him. And in verse 6 is that fulfillment of that dream that he had over 20 years ago. And so um, Joseph is now standing in power and authority over his brothers in Egypt and they're bowing down to him, which is exactly what the dream was, that Joseph stood tall and that his brothers, the sheaves of grain, bowed down to his. And so, uh, you know, we talked about all of the things in that moment. And, and if, you, if you missed it, go back a couple of weeks and watch it, listen to it again. All of the things that were happening possibly in that moment and, and what all of those things can mean for us. But this morning I want us to start in verse 7. And because now what has happened is... This is the reuniting. This is, this is the first time Joseph has been face-to-face with his brothers in about 20 years. And so it, it should kind of put us on the edge of our seat a little bit and think, what is going to happen? What is Joseph going to do? How is he going to respond? We, we saw the moment, and he recognized the moment, but now the question is, what's Joseph going to do? So, so let's see what he does. Let's look at verse 7 in Genesis chapter 42. It says, When Joseph saw his brothers, he recognized them, but he treated them like strangers and spoke harshly to them. And we may go, oh, well, duh. Right? Like you're thinking, yeah, I spoke harshly to them. I, uh, what? Look at what they did to him. But... But that's not the motive that Joseph has, and we'll, we'll figure that out in a minute. Where do you come from, he asks. Remember, he knows them. They don't know who he is. They just know he's a ruler of Egypt. From the land of Canaan to buy food, they replied. Although Joseph recognized his brothers, they did not recognize him. Joseph remembered his dreams about them and said to them, You are spies. You have come to see the weakness of the land. No, no, my Lord. Your servants have come to buy food, they said. We are all sons of one man. We are honest. Your servants are not spies. No, he said to them, you have come to see the weakness of the land. But they replied, we, your servants, were 12 brothers, the sons of one man in the land of Canaan. The youngest is now with our father and one is no longer living. So this would seem that in this moment, Joseph 
has them exactly where he would want them, right? Just think about what's been done to him. Think about their attitude, their, their hatred toward him while he was in Canaan, and what they did. They were going to kill him, and if it wasn't for Reuben to speak up, they would have killed him, but instead they sell him for their own gain as a slave. And it's been, and, and we've all carried and, and, and carried the story and watched Joseph go through everything that he's gone through. And so now finally, this seems like for us, if, 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 if we were in this story, we would be thinking, oh man, I've got you right where I want you now. And, and you are mine. But Joseph does something really interesting. On the surface, this looks like this is the chance for revenge. And maybe it would be easy for us to read this and think, oh, it sounds like Joseph is maybe going after revenge, but he's not. The key to understanding this, this encounter and why Joseph is, is being deceptive to them in, in a way is in verses 8 and 9. Because it says that he recognized them, but they didn't recognize him. And in verse 9, it says he remembered his dreams about them. He remembered what the dreams were. Now, now you remember we talked about how the brothers' reaction to the dreams was, oh, no, you won't. They saw it as simply, Joseph is going to be ruling over us. We don't like that. And we're going to do whatever we can to stop it. But remember, Joseph has a different perspective. Joseph's faith during this time has grown dramatically. And his depth of understanding and his wisdom. God, we've already seen God give him this supernatural wisdom that even, even the Pharaoh says, wow, there is, there is nobody who has the spirit of your God like you do. Joseph remembered the dream and he understood that God had put him in that place of power. But Joseph also understood the purpose for that place. Joseph was given power over his brothers and that's all the brothers could see on the surface. That's why they got so angry. We don't want you to have power over us. Joseph, on the other hand, in verse 9, when it says he remembered his dream, he remembers it, and God gives him the wisdom to know and understand, yeah, I am in power over you right now, but there's a specific purpose for the power God's given me over you, and that purpose is not for revenge. Here's the, here's the first point I want you to remember this morning. More important than the power we have is the purpose for which it is given to us. Sometimes people get so wrapped up in the fact that they have power, even if it's power that God's given them, authority or a place that God has put them in, they can get so wrapped up in the power that they completely forget that not only did the power come from God, but also the purpose. And unless we understand the power of the place that God has put us, along with the purpose for why he's given us that power or that place, then, then we're going to use it for our own selfish gain. If Joseph had a bitter and angry heart, the power 
that he had would have been used for revenge, and revenge would have been for himself, right? It would have been vindication for him and all that he had gone through. It would have been all about him. But Joseph didn't have that bitter, envious, angry heart. Joseph had an obedient heart before the Lord. He, his life was filled with the Spirit. And so he understood that the power that God had put him in in that moment was not for revenge, but it was for a responsibility. He says, I, I understand now what the dream means. Not only that I'm in ruling over them, but God, why do you have me ruling over them? Because you've given me a responsibility over them. This isn't just a cheap shot opportunity. This is not just a chance for him to get revenge on them. And in that moment when it says he remembered his dreams, he understood that. God has orchestrated all of these events to my life up until this purpose, and he wouldn't have done it just for me to get revenge on my brothers. There's a, there's a reason that I'm here. They are coming to me because they need something. They need help. And God has put me in this place and given me a responsibility to follow through with. So since Joseph knew the purpose of his power, he knew that it was the responsibility to care for his family. And so he, he decides he needs to get information from his brothers so that he can fulfill the purpose that God had given him the power for. Are you guys with me? Give me some head shakes or something. Okay. God has given him the power, given him a place for for the responsibility, not for the revenge. So he takes the responsibility seriously. He says, I need to get some information from these guys. But you know what? They're a bunch of liars. What I remember of them from 20 years ago is they're a bunch of big fat liars. So I have to figure out how to get the information from them that I need. And so this is how he does it. What are the things that Joseph wants to know in this moment, do you think? He's thinking about his little brother, Benjamin. He wants to know, where is Benjamin? Is Benjamin okay? Have you guys done the same thing to Benjamin that you did to me? He wants to know if his father is alive. He wants to know if his father is okay. And he knows that they don't understand who he is. And there's no reason for them to share that kind of personal information with him as just a ruler of Egypt. It's not time for them to know who he is yet. So the way he chooses to get um, truth out of these guys that he knows as liars is to use fear. Um, he accuses him of things. Do you notice that he accuses them of things that he knows is not true? Like he says, you guys are spies. He knows they're not spies. But he accuses them of being spies. Why? Because he knows they're not. And they know they're not. And so he's hoping that in their fear of being accused of something that, that they're not guilty of, that the information they use to defend themselves will be the information that he needs. And that's exactly what happens. Do you ever notice how fear motivates people to tell the truth? I mean, I mean, think about it. Think about it for, 
for us. Sometimes we have secrets and we want to hold on to them and we want to keep them until we're afraid somebody might find out. And then we get afraid. And then we tell, I mean, think about when you were a kid. You did something wrong. You tried to hide it from your parents until you were pretty sure they were almost ready to find out on their own. And they confront you. Or, or, the, or they say, if, if you don't tell me the truth, this is what's going to happen. They put, quote, the fear of God in you, right? When you're a kid. And then you, you, and then you spill your guts. So they begin to, to open up and share this information with him. Because if, if it weren't for the fear that he's putting in them in this moment, there's no reason for, for them to tell him as a ruler of Egypt anything about their father, anything about their little brother back home. So he accuses them of something that he knows is not true so that they will defend themselves with what is true. You see what he's doing? Like, it, it's brilliant. It, it's, it, it's this, again, this supernatural wisdom that God has given Joseph. So he's, he's trying to gather the information, and he does. What information does he get from them? He says, we're, they say, we're one of 12. We have, we have a little brother, and he's back home with our, with our father. But we had another brother, and he's gone now. He's died. So he can tell they're beginning to tell him the truth. Now, let's look at verse 14. Then Joseph said to them, I have spoken. You are spies. He plays like he doesn't buy into their story. You're spies. This is how you will be tested. As surely as Pharaoh lives, you will not leave this place until your youngest brother comes here. Send one from among you to get your brother. The rest of you will be imprisoned so that your words can be tested to see if they are true. If they are not, then as surely as Pharaoh lives, you are spies. So Joseph imprisoned them together for three days. So they give him this story. He hopes that it's true. Now remember, he knows that these guys are liars. And, and they say, no, we have a little brother back home, and we have our dad. So he's thinking, okay, maybe this is true. But I need to know that this is true. I need to know that they're telling me the absolute truth. I need to know that Benjamin is okay. So I'm going to test them. And he basically gives them two choices. He says, you're either, you're either going to, if you're telling me the truth, then you'll be okay. But if you're not, you're spies. And you know what? We all know what is going to happen to spies. So he imprisons them together. Do you notice that in verse 17? It says he puts them in prison, but he puts them in prison together. Usually when you go to prison, you don't, if, if, if you and, and nine of your brothers get thrown in prison at the same time, they're not going to all put you together. They're going to separate you. But Joseph gives orders for them to be put together. Why do you think he did that? Because he wants them to, he wants them to talk. He wants them to think. He wants them to, to interact with each other. And, you know, it, it's very likely... Just the, the irony of it, the very prison that he put them in was very likely the same prison he spent all of his time in because of Potiphar. It was that royal prison because now he's a royal official of Egypt. And so you remember the royal prisoners went to a special prison, and so that's where he puts his brothers, but he puts them all together. 
because he, he wants to give them time to think about and consider together and talk about what is happening to them. So then after he, he, he leaves them there for three days, gives them time to talk and discuss, and then he comes back to them. Look at verse 18. On the third day, Joseph said to them, I fear God. Do this and you will live. Which that I fear God was very unusual. Why in the world? That, like, that should have triggered something in their minds, but I don't think it did. This is an Egyptian. There's no reason for him to say he feared God. He was talking about their God. And so he says, do this and you will live. Verse 19, if you are honest, let one of you be confined to the guardhouse while the rest of you go and take grain to relieve the hunger of your households. Bring your youngest brother to me so that your words may, can be confirmed. Then you won't die. And they consented to this. You see, you see what he does? At first he tells them, I'm going to keep all of you in prison and we're going to send one of you home to get your little brother that you say you have and bring him back here to prove to me that you're telling the truth. After these three days, what does he do? He shows some mercy on them. He shows a lot of mercy because he changes his demands. He says, no, no, I'm not going to keep all of you and send one. I'm going to keep one of you, and I'm going to send all the rest of you. And why does he want to send all the rest of them home? So they can do what? So they can take grain home. He's looking out for his family. He's looking out for them. He's looking out for his father. He's looking out for Benjamin. And he knows the longer they stay in Egypt, the longer Jacob and Benjamin don't have any food back home. And remember, he's understanding his purpose. His purpose is not for, the power is not for revenge. The power he's been given is for responsibility. God's put him in a place now that he has the power to take care of his family. So, did you notice something ironic back when they were defending themselves? Do you remember it said they, they called themselves honest men? You remember that part? Did anybody else go, what? <laughs> they, they say, no, you're, no you're, you're servants, we're honest men. And I bet Joseph was going, what? So it's ironic that they say they're honest men, so Joseph says, I'm going to test you. Produce your brother, and you're telling the truth. Don't produce him. And you're all still the big fat bunch of liars that you were when I knew you before. Do this and live. But that, there, there's something powerful in that phrase there. I don't want you to think, and I know I, I say things like, you know, like he's calling them big fat liars. There might have been a little bit of that in him. But remember that he knows his purpose. He knows the power that he's been given. And when he says, do this and live, that shows us another piece of Joseph's heart in this moment. His, his desire for his brothers is good, not bad. Because if his desire was bad, he could have already taken care of them and wiped them out. He had the power to just speak and have them executed and killed. 
have them tortured, have, them, have, have anything done to them, spend their life in prison. He could have had anything done to them that he wanted. But he gave them a chance. And he said, if you will do this, you will live. He extended grace to them. He extended mercy to them. Does that sound familiar to anybody? That God reaches into our lives and says, I have sent my son to die on the cross for you. And all I ask is that you believe and put all your faith in him. And if you do this, what happens? We live. It's, it, it's, a, it's a picture of the gospel, what Joseph is doing with them. But he says, go back and do this, and you'll live. He had the power to take away their chance to repent. But what Joseph wants for them is that he wants to see them repent. He knows that part of the purpose, not only uh, the part of the purpose that God has in this moment, is not just for him to provide food for them, but but God wants to do the same work of transformation in their hearts that he's done in Joseph's heart through Joseph's trials. And as Joseph has grown closer to God, and, and these, these guys are guilty of, of sin against Joseph, sin against their father, and sin against God. And so this is Joseph, God through Joseph, is trying to open up a path to repentance for the brothers. You see, you see that? Like, Joseph is, is, this is, this is not just Joseph operating in himself. We haven't seen Joseph operate in himself the whole time. Everything that he's done has been driven by the Spirit of God, has been empowered by the Spirit of God, and this is nothing different. Now look at verse 21. Then they said to each other, now they're in prison, and, and he's given them this in, these instructions. I'm going to send all of you home, get your brother, come back, take grain with you. Look at what happens to him in verse 21. Then they said to each other, obviously we are being punished for what we did to our brother. We saw his deep distress when he pleaded with us, but we would not listen. That is why this trouble has come on us. But Reuben replied, Didn't I tell you not to harm the boy? But you wouldn't listen. Now we must account for his blood. They did not realize that Joseph understood them, since there was an interpreter between them. He turned away from them and wept. And when he turned back and spoke to them, he took Simeon from them. And had him bound before their eyes. Think about what they've been going through for three days in this prison. They've been thinking a lot. They've been talking a lot. And in three days, those brothers have gone through what Joseph has gone through over those 17 years. They've been unfairly accused of something that they didn't do. They've been put into prison unjustly. They've been separated from their family back home and they're wondering if they're ever going to get to see them again. Those are all things that Joseph 
has gone through in these 17 years that he's been away before the famine started. 13 years, sorry. And so now in these three days in prison, they're, they're experiencing the same things that Joseph was experiencing, the same questions, the same injustice. And they regret it. The suffering that they're enduring right now makes them take notice. And when Joseph sees and hears them saying, wow, we shouldn't have done that. The reason we're having to go through this is because of, the, is because of what we did back then. If we, if, like, God is punishing us, is what they thought. And when Joseph hears their regret, it says that he's moved to tears. See, what was happening was Joseph wasn't speaking Hebrew to them. He was speaking Egyptian. And so he had an interpreter there. And so he would speak Egyptian, and the interpreter would tell the brothers what Joseph is saying. But all the time, Joseph knows Hebrew. And so when the brothers speak to the interpreter, he understands them. And so Joseph can hear everything they say, even without the interpreter, and that's what happens here. They don't know that he can understand what they're saying, but he can. And when he hears it, he's moved to tears, and, but, but there's a plan in place. There's, there's, he's still trying to, to, to redeem the lives of his brothers. He's still trying to get the, get the information that he needs so that he can take care of his whole family. And so he, he has to step away from them. And he just cries because his heart's broken because they finally get it. Like, how have they felt about me these past 20 years I've been gone? Do they still hate me? What do, what do they say when they talk about me? And he finds out that, that maybe even just on the surface, at least they regret the fact that they did what they did to Joseph. But, but their regret at this point is not, is not really deep, heartfelt regret. It's sort of regret like, man, it's, if we hadn't done that, this wouldn't be happening to us. And we'll, we'll talk about that more in a second. Let's look at these last verses. Verses 25 through 28. Joseph gave orders to fill their containers with grain... Return each man's silver to his sack and give them provisions for their journey. This order was carried out. So let's stop right there. He tells them, I'm going to send all of you home, right? And so he has their stuff prepared. And he says, I want you to give each one of them grain to take back home. But look at what else he does. He returns each man's silver to his sack, each one of the brothers would have come with a certain amount of money to pay for the grain. And so Joseph tells his people, give them the grain that they need, but give their money back to them too. And, and bury their money deep in their sack so they won't find it immediately. I don't want them to know that it's there right off the bat, but I want you to put their money back, give them every bit of their money and put it back in their sack, and then give them provisions for their journey. 
So how graciously is he taking care of them? Look at verse um, 26. They loaded the grain on their donkeys and they left there. Verse 27. At the place where they lodged for the night, one of them opened his sack to get feed for his donkey and he saw his silver there at the top of his bag. He actually tells one of them it was on the top. Verse 28, he said to his brothers, My silver has been returned. It's here in my bag. Their hearts sank. Trembling, they turned to one another and said, What has God done to us? Now, think about this. He, think about the mercy for a minute. Now, Joseph, in the power that God's given him, he can do whatever he wants to with them. But he's extended mercy to them. He, instead of holding the nine of them and sending one home with, with food or provisions, he holds on to Simeon, one. And you say, well, why did he hold on to Simeon? Probably because Simeon was the second oldest. You remember when they threw him into the well? Reuben wasn't there. Reuben was the oldest and he wasn't there. Simeon would have been the next oldest. So in, in the absence of Reuben... Simeon would have been the one to step up and say, hey, we're not going to do this, guys. But he didn't do that. Simeon bought into the plan. And so as the one ultimately responsible for the brothers, as the oldest that were there, he keeps Simeon. He said, he's the one I'm going to keep. Send the rest of you home. He sent them with grain and food, and he returned all of their money. And there's a little bit of a spoiler because we're not going to get to that text yet. But they don't, they don't know that he's put the money in their sacks, right? And so they go and they, and they get to their camp. And one of them opens up his bag and he finds his money. What they don't know, spoiler, is that Joseph has given back all the money. Every one of them has a big bag of money in their bag. But they don't know that yet. All they know is that one of us have our money back. And you say, well, what's the purpose of that? Well, one, it's, it's, it's an extension of mercy on Joseph's part. But this is also going to reveal the heart of the brothers. Let's just, let's just think about it for a second. Someone with an, with an evil heart, a worldly heart, have you ever, like... Have you ever been at a store or something and, and you pay the clerk for something and then they give you back like the totally wrong change? Maybe they're supposed to give you back a 1 or a 5, but they give you a 20. What do most people do in that case? Woo-hoo! Take it and run with it, right? Like it's uh, uh, lucky, lucky me. Had their hearts been that way at this point there's no reason for them not to celebrate the fact that oh hey we've still got money they forgot to take it or it accidentally got put back good for us but that's not what they that's not how they responded is it it says their hearts sank remember joseph is is instilling some fear in them he already has. What are they afraid of? They're afraid for Simeon. What's going to happen to him? What's going to happen to him if we don't, 
if, if, if we don't get back, if we can't get Benjamin back here, what is he going to do to Simeon? Now, do you see there's compassion welling up in their hearts, even for their other brother Simeon? That Joseph hadn't seen, not compassion, they didn't have that kind of compassion for Joseph. But now, years later, he's put them in a situation where, where it's motivating them to, to be compassionate about their brother. So their heart sinks because they're scared about their brother. They're also kind of afraid for themselves. Because they're thinking, if, if we get, we've already gotten accused of being spies and we're not spies, now we may get accused of being thieves. And so they're, they're, they're convicted, and the conviction comes because they're, they're fearing punishment. They're fearing punishment that's going to come on them. They're fearing punishment that will come on their brother. At this point, I think the important thing to remember is this is not... If we just read this story on the surface, it can totally look like Joseph is just playing games with them, doesn't it? And maybe you've read that before, read that story before and thought, oh man, Joseph is just pulling their chain. He's just messing with them because he can. Because that's kind of what brothers do, right? Those of you who have siblings or brothers, you may say, yeah, you, sometimes you just mess with each other because you can. Um, but this is not a game for Joseph. This is not something to humor Joseph at the expense of his brothers. This is, again, the messy masterpiece that God is making and putting together. He's taking all of this, these messy, broken pieces, these messy broken people and he's and he's shifting them and he's bringing them together in particular ways and he's he's empowering joseph for this special purpose and and he's giving joseph wisdom and i believe that the wisdom that he's given joseph and joseph is is carrying his brothers through this what we're going to find out is god is trying to give the brothers a path for their hearts to be repentant for what they've done. Joseph's heart is not to destroy his brothers. His, his heart is to restore them. And you say, well, why is that? Because God has restored him. God has been faithful to him. God has shown him mercy. And so that same heart of compassion that he has experienced from God now God has given that kind of heart to Joseph to be that way with his brothers. So what Joseph does here is their initial, the initial thing that comes in this path to repentance that, he's, that God is trying to move the brothers to. The first thing they encounter is fear, right? Fear of what? Fear of, of punishment. But then Joseph follows that fear of punishment with kindness and mercy to them, doesn't he? How do you think God draws us to repentance? If God is trying to draw these guys to repentance, he's using... First, he used fear to get their attention. 
right? To, to bring about truth because fear makes us tell the truth, right? But then, but then Joseph follows that fear with grace and kindness and mercy. Romans chapter 2 verse 4 says this. Paul is talking to the Romans, about the, the Christians there, about vengeance and about uh, judgment and about how, how you can't judge each other because that is, that's reserved for God alone. Look at verse 4. He writes and says, Or do you despise the riches of his kindness, restraint, and patience? Talking about God. Not recognizing that God's kindness is intended to lead you to repentance. Here's the point to remember. Fear alone leads to regret. But God's kindness leads us to repentance. Think about how God has dealt with us. When we hear the gospel and we hear the message of judgment for our sin, it brings fear, doesn't it? Remember when you came to Christ and remember when you first heard that God is ruler, creator, and in charge of everything and that the wages of sin is what? Death is what you deserve. And there's, there's, there's fear that rises up in us. But if God could lead us to repentance by only using fear, I don't think he would have needed Jesus. <laughs> if God wanted to draw us to repentance by just fear, then he would scare us into believing in him and stop there. But Paul even says in Romans 2, 4, that's not how God draws people to repentance. He doesn't draw people to repentance through fear alone because at best, all fear has the power to do is make us regret what we've done. Man, I wish I hadn't done that because now I'm going to suffer for it. And that's just, that's not real repentance. That's just regret. That's, that's still, you're still looking out for you. But God goes a step further with, verse 4, the riches of his kindness, his restraint, his patience. His kindness is intended to lead you to repentance. What God does is he shows us the truth of the gospel that we are sinners and we deserve eternal punishment and separation from him. But that can't draw us to repentance by itself. It's the kindness of God. It's the love of Jesus. It's the fact that, that God put all of these things, sent Jesus to do all of these things for us that we didn't deserve. Joseph put all this stuff in their bags and sent it back with them. They didn't deserve that. And it's the kindness and the grace of God that draws people to repentance. It's the kindness of God in the gospel because we call it the gospel, right? And what does the gospel mean? Good news. Is it good news that God 
is it good news by itself that God is ruler over all things and you are guilty before him and, and the wages of your sin is death? Stop there. Does that sound like good news to you? No, because that can't draw anybody to repentance. The good news is all of that is true. You should be afraid. There should be fear that rises up in you. But, but then there's Jesus. <laughs> there's the kindness of God. And it's not the wrath of God that drew you to repentance. It was the fact that you saw Jesus on the cross and went, how could you do that for me? <laughs> How could you be that kind? How could you be that merciful to, to forgive me for what I've done? How could you restore me? How could you offer me righteousness like you have in, in return for all that I've done? The brothers didn't deserve the kindness of this Egyptian ruler, and they knew it. And when we come to understand the kindness and the goodness of God, and God is the only one who can declare us guilty, God is the one who has power to condemn us. But when we understand that his, his purpose, his power, is not to get revenge on us, but it's to save us and restore us, that's when re real, true repentance.